This phrase, a weary world rejoices, uh, there, are, there are several concepts that, that come to mind, and, and it's what uh, John, our associate pastor, and I have been addressing in our messages this month. Uh, the first Sunday of the month, he talked about the idea of hope. Uh, then last Sunday, I addressed uh, this idea of the great joy uh, that we receive by the arrival of Jesus on the earth. And today, uh, I want to talk about the ridiculous love of God. Uh, have you ever uh, had that moment? I'm sure you have, probably within just the last few days, where you, you basically said about something in your life, well, that's just ridiculous. I mean, it's just over the top, it's out of boundaries, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Why in the world? That's just ridiculous. Why would they close the road right now? That's ridiculous. Why would they do construction right here during the holiday season? That's ridiculous. You know, why would my boss do this? Why would my kid do that? That's just ridiculous. And I think about the love of God very much in the same kind of way. It is a ridiculous kind of love. It makes absolutely no logical sense whatsoever that people like us receive a love like that from the God who is there. Uh, this morning, I want to turn your attention to uh, what will be, for some people, the most well-known verse in all of the Bible. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles, whichever is applicable to you, uh, to the Gospel of John chapter 3, and we're going to take a, a few moments to look at verses 16 and 17 this morning. Now, several months ago, I preached through the, uh, this third chapter of the Gospel of John. Uh, this is where Jesus is having a conversation with a guy who is supposed to understand all of these things. His name's Nicodemus. Nicodemus, it is recorded in Scripture, was not just a religious guy. Uh, he was actually the teacher of all of the teachers there in Jerusalem. He was the head priest who knew more about the Old Testament Scriptures than anybody else. Now, at that time, it wasn't referred to as the Old Testament. It was just simply the Scriptures. It was the Hebrew Scriptures that they had, that Jesus had, that Jesus read from as a young man. And Nicodemus was a guy who knew all about the Scriptures. And in Jesus' discussion with him about how a person actually gains spiritual life, he says this to Nicodemus in the midst of it all, verses 16 and 17. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. This is, on its face, a ridiculous statement. Makes no human logical sense whatsoever that the God of the universe, who is separated from us by infinite time and infinite space, and certainly by His own moral holiness and purity and goodness, would do anything for us. He doesn't owe us anything. We can't force His hand on anything. And yet, God looks through uh, the lens of eternity, and He sees the great need that we have, and He offers in its place of our great need His ridiculous love. In these verses, which 
Some of you have memorized in various translations through the years. Maybe you had a grandma who cross-stitched it and you framed it in your, in your kitchen somewhere. Maybe you were a kid who grew up in church and this was maybe a, a verse that you memorized very early on. I, I want you to reacquaint yourself uh, with these verses this morning in light of the Christmas season, in light of the fact that there is a very weary world around us that there are some very weary people among us. And it is because of the ridiculous love of God that we can find a reason to rejoice. Even in the life of Nicodemus, a man who knew much about the spiritual realm, but he was just now getting introduced really to the idea of grace. So let me show you a few things about these verses. Number one, I think what we see here is the method of God's love. Now, I know, uh, because it happens to me, that when I read this verse, John 3.16, out of a modern translation like the one that I read from, where it reads, for God loved the world in this way, some of you shake your head and go, no, 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 that is not the way I memorized it, Philip. Now, how did you memorize it? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Yes. And, And so, we Uh, You see, English language changes along the way, and and so even the emphasis that a lot of times we will use uh, to recite the King James Version, for God so loved the world, because we use that word to indicate like a mount, like I so love hamburgers. Like the other week when we went to Uganda, and when we landed back at JFK Airport in New York City, let me tell you something, my feet headed automatically toward the first place where I could get a cheeseburger, all right, because I so love cheeseburgers. But this is not what Jesus was saying in His original language. We're going to get to that amount thing in a moment. But the old English… Uh, language when it would say, for God so loved the world, it meant it was not in reference to the quantity of God's love, but it was to show the manner in which God was going to love. For God loved the world in this way. The manner and the method in which God loves is that He gives. For God loved the world in this way He gave. Now again, this is the ridiculous love of God, that that the God of the universe, the one who stands in need of nothing, the one who is the originator of all things, the one who can speak worlds and universes into existence, the one who breathes life into our bodies, the one who just simply has no need, decides that He loves us so much that He is going to give something incredibly precious for Him, that He gives away what is most precious to Him. And what does He give? It's not a what. It's a who. The rebellious people who are likely not going to love Him back or not love Him back very well if we love Him back at all, He, to us, is going to give His Son. Now, some of you have sons and daughters. I have two sons, and I love all of you. I like all of you. I'm fond and affectionate toward all of you, but none of you get my sons. 
I'm not giving up my kiddos for anybody else because they're mine. They are the most precious gifts in my life. And yet God is willing to give the one who is so precious to him. What we see in this beautiful, eternal picture of the gospel story of Jesus is that God the Father sent God the Son with the blessing of God the Spirit so that humanity might fully understand and experience the love of God. This is the only way that we're going to be able to fully experience and understand the love of God is if God the Father sends God the Son with the blessing of God the Holy Spirit so that we can understand and experience this great love. It is the manner of God's ridiculous love to make a sacrifice. This is the very heart of who He is. But then also we have, secondly, the unique gift of God's love. So we've got the method of God's love that He, he gives But then there is this unique gift of God's love, and God can express His love in an infinite number of ways because He's God. God could invent ways that He might express His love. He could come up with all sorts of different ideas by which He could express His love to us, and He has. I mean, think of the multitude of ways by which we experience the love of God by the blessings that we have in life, by the very breath that we breathe, by the fact that we can perceive and appreciate the beauty of a sunrise or a sunset, whether you're a morning person or an evening person. We are able to experience everything that is the taste of a cheeseburger to the taste of a chocolate bar. We have all sorts of blessings in our lives. We have the blessings of family and of friendship. But the greatest way, manner, is through this unique gift of God's love. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son. God gives us the only gift that can bring the change we need, His one and only Son. I mean, there are all sorts of wonderful gifts that we receive from the heavenlies. Uh, whether it is the relationships that we enjoy or the experiences that we have here on the earth. But there is only one gift that comes out of heaven by which it brings an eternal spiritual transformation in our lives. It is the very presence of the Son of God on the earth. And and though we try to make all sorts of other substitutes as to what might change our life, I'm going to live a more moral and ethical kind of way in my life, and that's going to make things better. Or I'm just going to, I'm going to attain more. I'm going to be more successful in business and, and pile up more stuff at my house, and then I'll be happy. That'll show that God really loves me and blesses me because I've got more stuff. Or I'm going to be nicer to people. I'm going to find more ways to serve. And I'm going to extend more grace and mercy to to the poor and the outcast uh, that are in our communities. But all of these things are certainly ways that we can experience parts of the grace and the mercy of God. But ultimately, we find that there is this unique gift. Now, we use the word unique Uh, all the time for all sorts of different ways, and and really we misuse it. We'll say, well, that's quite unique. Uh, Technically, when when I'm saying unique, it it is a one-time-only kind of thing. You are a unique 
individual. There, will, there is no one who's ever been like you. There is no one who will ever be like you. Your fingerprints are unique. They are not going to be replicated or duplicated again. Now, the cheeseburger I had when I got back from Uganda felt unique, but I could go back to Wendy's and get another one. And I might. Today. But Jesus, thank you for that amen. Uh, but in the most technical and real sense, Jesus is unique. There's not another gift that's ever going to be like it or like him. And God's love is so big and it is so ridiculous that even in the weariness that is brought about by sin in your life that drags you down and shackles you and threatens to destroy you, uh, no matter what diagnosis you get, no matter what bad news you get, no matter how big of a jerk your boss is or how big of a jerk you've been or how mean people are to you or how many broken relationships that you have or how many bad things happen in your life, there is this one gift that is different from every other gift that can ever be given that God knows that there's only one particular gift gift that can actually change your eternity. It is the once in an eternity gift that is necessary for all of our lives, and only the sacrifice of the Son can ultimately satisfy the wrath of the Father. And make no mistakes about it, uh, you and I are children of wrath, very deservedly so. Uh, we were born into sin and we choose sin all day, every day. Even your saintly old grandmother that you're absolutely convinced that she never said a cross word about anybody, she probably said it about you when you were really, really little. <laughs> All of us stand in the need of this incredibly unique gift that comes from the throne room of heaven. And so the method of God's love is that He gives. The unique gift of God's love is this Son. But then also in this passage, thirdly, we see the extent of God's love. He says, For God loved the world in this way that He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. This is a gift that's for everyone. Everyone who will believe in Jesus wins. Everyone gets in on the deal. It is not just for the moral or the religious or the Baptist or the Methodist. It's not just for this person or that person. It's not just for the compassionate and the good person who has, is trying to stay on the straight and narrow. It's for everyone. It is for everyone here who is depressed and has been depressed for a long time. And it's for everyone here who's got a happy disposition has always got a smile on their face. It's for the addicted and the angry, for the traditional and the creative. It's for those who are scraping by and those who have great wealth. It's for the educated and the illiterate. It's for the poor and the rich. It's for every, every person of every ethnicity and every stripe across the world. It is the extent of God's love is such as this, that no person is beyond the love of God. No one you ever met was beyond the reach of God. No one that you ever met was seen by God and deemed to be unlovable. Now, we do that painfully every now and again. We find somebody that we just don't want to be around that just bugs us, needles us, is like a burr under our saddle. Look at that. I used a cowboy reference. Um, but there's no one in the history of the world 
past, present, or future to come, that God will ever look upon and say, well, that person is just unlovable because He's put His image into each one of us. He has decided that He knows that what can satisfy the soul of every man. He knows what it is that we so desperately need. He needs a ridiculous amount of love given through a sacrifice that is the unique gift of His own Son, a member of the Trinity of who God is. And this is the extent that everybody, it's available for. It's available for the apostles that follow Jesus closely and to try to do what's right, but in the end, kind of goof everything up. It's available for the sinful woman who gets drug in front of him that all of the leaders of the community would like to stone her because she's an adulteress, but the love of God is available for her. It's available for a guy who persecutes the church whose name was Saul, that eventually Jesus uh, reveals himself to, and he understands that the love of God is for him as well. Uh, the love of God is for you uh, in your messed up, mucked up life that doesn't go right most of the time, that you feel like you're always stubbing your toe on something. The, the love of God extends to you as well. The love of God is for the people in Jordan that uh, one of our mission teams has visited and to the people of Stapleton, Colorado that other mission teams have gone to visit with uh, over in Uganda. The love of God is for every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet because it is what satisfies our soul, and as a church family, it is what should fuel the very life of who we are that the salvation offered by the death, burial, and resurrection is available to everyone who will just believe. Aren't you glad that there's no other prerequisites to salvation? Uh, that there's no prerequisite that you have to dress a certain way, act a certain way, that you have to sing a certain way, that you have to believe a certain, you know, little moral code, that you got to adhere and, and be just right that instead, in all of your mess and in all of my mess and all of our mess, that if we will just believe, that's what it says, everyone who believes, not everyone who acts right, because I've met us. You've met me. We, we're familiar with each other. We don't act right. We don't do right. We don't play fair. But he says, if you'll believe, that's the extent of God's love, that all it takes is that simple, childlike faith of belief. Which leads us to the result of God's love, number four. So we got the method of God's love, the unique gift of God's love, the extent of God's love, and then there is this beautiful result. He says that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. You're not going to perish in that kind of eternal sense. Now your body's going to break down, and we're all going to have aches and pains, and eventually we're going to go into the grave. Uh, I was, uh, had a chance to visit with my father yesterday, uh, Angie, and our younger son, Chris, uh, and Jenna were in South Carolina yesterday for a wedding for one of our nephews, and I got to visit with my dad. And, and, and dad is now 79 years old, and, uh, but spry and uh, a little uh, insubordinate and churlish at times, but 
he always reminds me whenever he's got a little ache or a little bit of pain, he said, well, son, if you're going to get old, you better get tough. And, and so, yeah, this body's going to break down. I mean, I've got a bum shoulder. I got a knee that aches every once in a while. I, got, I get headaches. You get sinus problems. We got joint stuff, this, that, and the other. Uh, th this is, gonna, is eventually going to turn to dust. But the soul of who you really are, well, that can last forever. You can be the inheritor of eternal life. I want you to think about this because my guess is uh, kind of from, from this side all the way over to this side, a majority of the people that are here this morning, you've already come to a point in your life where you made the decision that you were going to put your faith in Christ and, and that you wanted to inherit the eternal life, that by His death, burial, and resurrection, that you can be given by Christ if you put your faith in Him. And I, I want you just to revisit that for these moments, to ask yourself, is this what fuels my fire day by day, is that I have inherited eternal life. I'm never going to perish. My sins are not going to bring the wrath of God upon me. Uh, the, the eternity of separation from God in a terrible place of condemnation for all of eternity, I don't have to suffer that wrath because Jesus has stood in my place because the ridiculous love of God has intervened. And so at that moment that I put my faith in Christ, I move from death to life I move from darkness into light. I move from always wanting to having an abundant spiritual existence with Him. And, and Jesus did not come for you to experience just the, for you to continuously walk in the pains and the pangs of guilt. He arrived for your freedom from condemnation. So you don't have to walk around dour and downcast all the time. Instead, you can walk in the victory that Christ has allowed us to inherit. Eternal life and abundant life is waiting for you in the love of God. Not in the guilt of God, not in the shame of God, not in the wagging finger as if He was a taskmaster of God, but in the love of God. This is where the eternal and the abundant life exists. And so if you find yourself in a place here today that you think, I don't have that assurance of eternal life, I sure would like to find out about it, it's found in the love of God that He says that Jesus Christ has come, and if you'll believe in Him, you'll have everlasting life. If you find yourself as someone who, I made that decision a long time ago, but boy, I sure feel like I just operate in a cycle of guilt and shame, then it is time for you to let go of the shackles that you have taken back up in your life and instead be embraced once again by the ridiculous love of God. Because there is no sin that is beyond the forgiving power of God's love. And there's no sinner that's beyond the reach of God's love. And there's no circumstance that's outside of the sight of God's love. There is no corner on the face of the planet, whether it be your corner here in Bradenton or some corner on, the, on another continent, that is beyond the scope of God's love. And it is what should satisfy the soul of every person and fuel the life of every congregation. It is this ridiculous love of God. Uh, this morning, uh, would you take a few moments and let's pray together?